Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 31 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air in overcast, rainy, it was sunny yesterday, overcast, rainy, suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It is Tuesday, May 15th, 2018, the Tuesday in Ascension Tide, if you're counting, it's also the Tuesday in the seventh week of Easter, Pentecost is on its way, if that's of a concern to you. Today we will be talking about, as promised, The Last Jedi novelization, what it adds, what it gives the shows the film a different light, shows the story in a different light, I'll get to that in a bit. First of all, some just the news that I mentioned last week that I didn't really have time to go into, Forces of Destiny dropped uh, a ne- the next season. It, you can, uh, I, I, it's been a bit since I watched it. I could have rewatched it, but I just didn't get to rewatching it. Uh, just <coughs> some some interesting moments. Hera after the Battle of Endor, going going there. Uh, so I think a nice, even uh, some nice Ahsoka Padme moments. Different things. I'll, I'll I'll post the link and give it a rewatch and maybe be able to talk about it more next week. I think there will be. An, another episode involving, I think, involving Kira dropping. I think they got uh, Amelia Clark to voice that dropping just before Solo was released. So that'll be fun to just to keep giving us these little tidbits of of two D animation <laughs> in the Star Wars universe. Should mention I'm, I'm joined by, of course, my trusty uh, Coruscant Guard coffee mug that I'll take a swig of. That's what coffee sounds like. And, of course, R2. Whether or not he's thrilled to be on the show, I don't know. But, you know, he's here. So, yeah, Forces of Destiny. I'll just give my take briefly. It's pretty clear that I'm a fan of those. I think people who think, okay, I mean, if you're not a fan, not enjoyable, that's fine. I think it's just a kid's, little kid's thing. Whatever. Star Wars is always for kids at some level. Not fun, but they are able to add and, and put new things in a different light. For example, how Leia got her, her boosh, boosh costume, bounty hunter costume thing to infiltrate Jabba's palace from Mas Kanata. is <laughs> one of those little things. The thing I keep going back to is how Yoda teaches Ahsoka to be herself with the two lightsabers when she's fighting Anakin and the kid, or, or, or practicing against Anakin and against Barriss. The, yeah, the, that sense of, yeah, be toe the line conform to Jedi orthodoxy, but there is the hint of the wisdom of saying, be yourself and, and discern what you need to do and how you need to act in the world according to your own temperament, according to your your personality, and of course your master's personality if he's going to lead you on all these adventures. And of course, we know how important Ahsoka is to the story if you've been listening to this podcast or other podcasts, just how important Ahsoka is to Anakin's story. Uh, so 
Yeah, that that I mean that's from an earlier season, but just as an example of the type of things they're able to do on that level. So that's Force of Destiny. Speaking of the chosen one, that the namesake of this podcast, I do want to talk about comics a little more. I should be. That is how I'm Star Warsing every week, and I mentioned how the more recent run. Or the arc, not the run. The run's still going. The arc of the Dr. Aphra comic, I should say. That's still going. The arc just ended, though. And it was a fascinating one. It involved Harris and Dula. It, that one is going to be off the beaten path, that, that comic. it's They call it Rogue Archaeologist Chelly Aphra. And it has all these this wild cast of characters that you won't ever see in a film. Or you'll see in the background. Like Amazon Pandababa, you know, those kinds of characters with these weird experiences. Actually, one of the one of her associates on her team was a victim of Evazin, Doctor Evazin's experiments. <laughs> so, so yeah, the accomplice, the walrus man. Pandababa is a walrus man in Cantina New Hope, and and the one that Obi Wan chops his arm off. So that so that's interesting. Anyways, it, it's it was a pretty satisfying conclusion. Just kind of the the DJ mentality of of don't join. You don't know. I mean, she's out for herself. She's out for her profits. In this past arc, she had become under, had been forced to be under the 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 two droids that you meet in the original Vader comic that she has. Kind of the 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 anti uh, 3PR2, they actually kind of blackmailed her into serving them on a mission involving Triple uh, Zero's, uh, his original programming and part of this Tarkin initiative, these experiments that were, were going on. And they get Harrison Dula to come in and um, try and infiltrate this this imperial research facility and this is this is after new hope this is got to be coming up to empire strikes back soon anyway it all works out for our, our delicious anti-hero afra um i won't spoil spoil anything of course it works out in the end i won't tell you how <laughs> so i definitely recommend you reading it if you especially if you want something off the beaten path that, that it's it's a fun comic. The one that's not at all off the beaten path is, is the Vader comic that I keep raving about whenever I remember to talk about comics. The Darth Vader 2017 run. I, I love the 2015 run, but 2017 run, and, and I said the 2015 run will be my favorite comic run ever. I might, <laughs> I might have been a bit a little premature. The current Vader run, it not only... Is he really able to root out and show us who, who Vader, what Vader's like at the very, at the very beginning of the Empire? He, I mean, this this last issue, I just read it last night. The most prequelist thing, one of the most prequelist things that's come out. Really great connection, even to the Mace Windu comic that came out set during the prequel era, um, and even starting to explore. The kind of the manipulations of the Jedi, and starting to explore the relationship to clones and, and 
all that because the stormtroopers in <coughs> in this comic are still clones. Gotta be aware of that. And and just to bring that back, and remember when I, I a few months ago I did the this episode of comic and canon and how my favorite things right now are things that visually bridge visually and thematically and in terms of the actual story bridge the prequels and the original trilogy. Here you have Vader and Stormtroopers uh, confronting the legacy of Order 66 and the legacy of the the Clone Wars. It, it's it's fantastic. I mean, to bring that out more explicitly, it's always there. I mean, if it was there, I mean, the Clone Wars have been with us since, since old Ben mentioned them to Luke. And this kind of throwaway line that we didn't know what the Clone Wars were for a number of decades, and then, of course, really until 2002, uh, we had no real idea until we finally discovered, okay, well, and I think, you know, this was George Lucas's plan all along. So, it's fascinating that this comic is still revisiting that. There's still, we don't know what era... Lucasfilm is really prioritizing right now. I think they're starting, going to start to prioritize uh, the era between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens, the the in between the, the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. But it's good to see that they're at least trying <laughs> trying to see the original six saga as a coherent whole. Trying to see the whole saga as a coherent whole. I think that driving me up a creek is retconning. The one, so the one thing I really wish I could see, and this is going to be very nerdy. You guys ready for a very nerdy comment here? The one thing I wish I could see in the Vader comic where are, this is ETA 2, Sith Starfighter, and some more viewings and, and other Clone Wars era ship designs that the Empire still used because the Empire, the Republic became the Empire. So... Hopefully they correct that one. But other than that, the actual storyline is is solid. Uh, one last bit of thing. I, I finally discovered and finally got down to re-watching a few episodes of of Black Series Rebels. It's a YouTube show. In, in, clearly in LA and they get the heavy hitters of, from Collider and Force Center and all these people. And, uh they you know and they had Anthony Bresnikin on and I don't know how they this new up and coming show has gotten these guys on that John Roke on they had Joseph Scrimshaw and he you know the I mean they had Ken Napsuk on before that but I haven't seen Ken Ken's episode but they had Joseph Scrimshaw's episode on talking about prequelism and what that means and how. And talk about, and just that they consistently do have to qualify. Oh, these movies aren't the best, and you know, get a, there's these film cinematography problems or filmmaking problems with them. Okay, I, I'm gonna kind of do this. Is this has led me to think? Okay, next week I'm gonna give my own take on what prequelism is because we're almost a year into this podcast, and I. Unabashedly say it's a prequelist podcast, and uh, I should. It's yeah, the time is ripe to actually take stock and and say what I mean and what I think and how it differs from 
the two main voices there, Joseph Scrimshaw and Brian Young. So that's that's for next week. That I'll, I'll stew on, mull on, not mull on, but that's okay. Mull, mull on for for the next week. Okay, so we'll go coffee, R2. All right, thanks, R2. Happy beeps, right? Well, it's VBA, but you can do happy beeps too. Well, I'm sure you will say I have a bad feeling about this sometime. Yes, I'm talking to a toy droid. What do I want? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only help. See, yeah, those voices. Okay, the last Jedi novelization. <laughs> On that note, let's, let's talk about this. So, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm blanking on the name, so I'm just going to look it up. Why, why am I blanking on who wrote this thing? Last Jedi novelization. I apologize, all you people. Uh, there's this thing on StarWars.com. Why is it essential reading? Jason Fry. I knew that. Silly me. Jason Fry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Jason Fry's Last Jedi novelization. Jason Fry, interestingly enough, I mean, he also writes... Uh, he wrote some of the, the guides, like the uh, the visual, not the visual dictionary, Dave Flynn wrote that, but I think some of the, the, the incredible cross-sections, things like that. He's actually written those technical, quote-unquote technical things. So interesting to see, I mean, he's also got his literary fiction writing chops, for sure. And there are four things, four specific things I thought of that this movie, this novelization really adds to the story. I mean, there are more things, but um, yeah, I'll say five things. So <clears throat> the first thing is it can it adds things that you just couldn't really do on a film that just wouldn't fit. Things that even weren't even in the deleted scene. So I'll, I'll do. There are going to be spoilers a little bit, light spoilers for for this for the novelization. For the, one of the things that adds is the fact that even if you've seen the movie, the film, as many times as I have, there's still spoilers for the novelization. And I wanted to hold off on watching videos and things like that. The uh, That opening introduction about with Luke and Cammy and <coughs> on Tatooine and just that, that whole opening scene that would have confused people. It would have been awesome, maybe, to see it, but it would have it would have made the film even longer. It would have confused people, but just the the sense that if Luke had stayed home, had gotten those power converters, had not fulfilled his destiny, you know, had said to the twin sons, "That's nice. I'm gonna go back to my farm and marry Cammy and have have, have an easy life." Still doesn't have kids, which is kind of funny, poking fun at all the. The Ray is his daughter theses or theories, um, but this really great meditation. It, it's a forced dream, saying, is which is to say, what he's doing on Octo is kind of like as if he what why he's hiding on Octo, and I, I've commented on that a lot the last few weeks. <coughs> it the whole sense of him reneging on his destiny and his, his his the impact he can have on the galaxy and so i hear how 
you know, 60 years later or whatever, I don't know, he's 60 years old and the Empire is still in power. They've brought peace. Uh, really fascinating. I don't want to give too much away, but they brought quote-unquote peace by not just Alderaan, but Moncala and Chandrila are also destroyed. And peace at what cost? And, and, and Luke's peace at what cost? Knowing that, or this hypothetical Luke, knowing that he should have and could have. It's a sense of, I'm not supposed to be here. It's kind of like, here's here's a Star Trek reference for you. Yesterday's Enterprise, Guinan, so this episode where there's a time loop and the Enterprise C comes forward and Tasha Yar is still alive. This is later episodes and Tasha Yar dies at the end of season one, by the way, near the end. And, but she's back because the time loop and <coughs> Guinan has this sense you're not supposed to be here. <coughs> Sorry. And Luke, in, in this, this opening chapter, this prologue, has the sense you're not supposed to be here. And I wonder if it is this niggling sort of you're not supposed to have recused yourself on Octo. Constantly fighting against that sense that at the very least, you're supposed to have. Your, the force still wills you to have an impact on the galaxy as a whole. And of course, if you've seen the film, we we know he's done so in a very profound, pacifistic way. So that's it. I'll get to more about Luke at the end. One thing, so is that there's you have Han's funeral, which is really interesting, and looking at Leia's sense of. She's grieving, but she has to be there for everyone else and different things. Um, the pacing. So th- this is, well, I'll get to two two criticisms. Do the people have criticism of the film that I think the book addresses? And these aren't my personal criticisms so much, but the ones I've heard. <coughs> the biggest one I've heard is the pacing and editing and cutting of scenes where want to spend a little more time sitting with something or it needs to, the story needs to move or just the, the inconsistency of the cuts in a novel pacing in a novel. There's pacing in a novel. It's when the chapters end or when the sections end or even how much detail you put into a scene, you write into a scene and how longer or shorter that action then takes to read. <clears throat> to read an experience with a novel then the pacing is different than the film there is more detail there are these monologues or, or internal monologues if you will and I'll get at those in a minute in a few minutes the the chapter breaks and it's interesting some of the chapter breaks happen just before some really climactic moments right I'm trying to I can't quite remember an example but you know, this, this high energy moment and it's it's almost like a mini cliffhanger instead of in a film you don't really do cliffhangers so much you can do cuts away from a scene or whatnot but you don't really want to do that because you want to just conclude the action like I think I'm trying to remember if the Holden maneuver the impact of the Holden maneuver is another chapter <laughs> which would be I think that's true I, I'm going to have to Look back. I read in the library, so I'll, if I see it in the library again, I'll, I'll check that. But this kind of different pacing 
And it is overall a bit of a slower pace, I found. Again, because it's a novel, I'm reading it over... Well, I had two weeks to read it before I returned it. You're reading over a set period of time. You're the one making the choice of the pacing. But also, I think... Uh, I think Jason Fry intentionally wanted to slow it down a little and had the or and was able to have the liberty to because he wasn't worried about screen length and time length he was worried just about book length but the length of the book isn't that much more than anything else it's about 312 pages or something which isn't that that much for for an adult fiction book that isn't any anything exorbitant so yeah, that pacing through the story is different. Again, I, I don't know. So what I'm wondering is if you're one of the people who did think that the pacing was, was off in the film, and the cuts and the, was off in the film, would that, uh, <coughs> would that help? Does the novelization help a little? That's what I wonder. I don't know. Um, so we'll go coffee time. R2, he, he likes the pacing. <laughs> I don't know. Um, one thing, so another criticism, and this is the one criticism I maybe have. I do think, I do feel like the film's almost perfect, but that Rose and Finn kiss at the end, they had some chemistry in the film, or deny that they had no chemistry. There was this sort of slow, begrudging, sort of <laughs> Rose begrudgingly starting to respect him. But the kiss at the end still seemed out of place, and uh, I think on on one of the Black Series Rebels episodes, one of the guests said, or one of the hosts, I don't remember, said, uh, "Oh yeah, it was it was an Anthony Bresnikin's, uh, yeah, you know, talking about one of his favorite lines in all of Star Wars now is, is how we win, not by killing what we hate, but by saving what we love.' It's actually, yeah, yeah, that's a legit thing to to love as a line." Uh, it, it's the the moral core of the film, but people get distracted by the big boom of the the door and the kiss. I think oh this kiss doesn't make sense. We get into in the novelization then we get into Rose's head a little. We get into how she sees Finn first as of course an actual traitor full on you're deserting your traitor which comes across in the film a little bit. The zap. What we do see, I mean, one of the things we see is, uh, if it's if a a romantic thing between Finn and Ray, at least on Finn's part, is implied only implied in the film. It, it's pretty darn clear, at the beginning of the novelization, that he wants to go off with her, and that there's this fixation on her as long as she's safe, as long as she comes back to. The beacon and the be where the beacon is is in a safer place, then the two of them can go off and and that starts to annoy Rose. It's kind of funny how the Ray 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 all about Ray starts to annoy Rose and she starts getting this kind of hint of jealousy a little bit. And jealousy is always no jealousy is never too great, but in that context when there isn't really any commitment on the table either way. It's what you do with it. Um, she starts to, you know, she starts to see him 
face the, these challenges more heroically. She starts to see, you know, and she's definitely included in very much directing the plan. She helps him fly the, the shuttle. He has no idea. She's great at flying the shuttle. I should mention one thing it really does do. It also shows her relationship with Paige beforehand. Things that were, were definitely cut from the film or weren't even in the film at all. They had a very close, tight bond, and it's clear that when when Paige dies, that leaves a big hole. It's and what's interesting, it's not so much that Rose is trying to fill it with Finn. What we see in Rose's arc here, and we see this more clearly in the novelization, it does add this to actually find a way to live and carry on Paige's legacy. But be, again, be her own person. Well, it's similar to Ray's journey a little bit. So to be her own person in the world as contributing to to the, the resistance and to the betterment of the galaxy. <coughs> being, you know, I mean, without, with Paige being gone, who knows if Rose will be able to step up. Or with Paige, so I mean, there would Rose be able to step up on her own. And go off and even be able to have the fortitude to hand over that medallion, the, the, the smelt, to uh, Hayseen Smelt. Hayes Minor is her planet. The memory of Paige handed over to DJ. Thankfully, he gives it back to her. But uh, what we see over time is she actually, well, we see Finn again being able to have a stronger sense that he's part of the resistance and not simply running from the first order being a deserted stormtrooper. She also understands he was a stormtrooper. So uh, his program, he's being reprogrammed in a lot of ways. She's being reprogrammed too from someone who was behind pipes all day doing talking, <laughs> not her forte to being able to step up and, and go to Kanto Bike and free the Fathers and give up that ring that the bomber commander gave her. So the ring is from the bomber commander. She gives it to Tamari Blag, I think his name is. Broomstick Boy. Anyway, ultimately what you see with Rose is, is this connection that she's made with him in the context of them both being able to really be met part of the resistance, active parts of the resistance as themselves and with their own integrity and on their own a little bit, right? <clears throat> Carries on that theme of, well, you don't necessarily want to let the past die, but sometimes people die or something you leave your you know, loved ones. Uh, that's the sad reality of life is, Especially the sad reality of war is loved ones may die or go away or 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 in Rose, Ray's case rather may not actually come back have come back for you may have left you <laughs> on the on the the desert and so yeah with Rose it's uh, her connection to Finn is as part of the family. And Finn's connection to Rose is as part of the family here. So 
their romance develops within the context of the community of the resistance, as small as it is now. So that was that was something, yeah, that definitely comes through, I think, in uh, in the novelization. The telling point where Finn at one point says, "We've got to get to safety. We've got to fight. We've got to." I think it's "We've got to" is when he when they're all going out to the the gun. This is actually when they should be getting to the cockpit and try and blow things up. At the beginning with the, the, the battering ram cannon. Sorry, the beginning of the Ceylon crate. Where, yeah, where Finn and Poe and, and Rose and, and all of this ragtag squadron said, we've got to go. And and Rose notices, oh, he's saying we now. So that's what comes out. So it makes things make a little more sense. It It puts it in grounding. And again, I, I think I mentioned this before. I'm not a shipper. I'm not one for uh, letting romantic connections have a pass just because we want warm, fuzzy feelings. I think it needs to be grounded and realistic. And that's something the novelization does better than the film. Okay. Coffee break and R2 break. Okay. One of the most interesting things this adds... And I mentioned we get into people's heads here. The ability to, on Jason Fry's part, to actually give people internal monologues. Those are full of canon connections. Right? There's a great one where with Poe, I think just before, I think just before Leia demotes him, uh, I was saying, there wasn't a time where he didn't know Leia Organa. Where uh, she mentored her his parents, and he grew up in the shadow of a United Tree on Yavin Four. In other words, if you've read Shattered Empire, the comic run, you know precisely what that is, and you know uh, that time that I invested in reading Shattered Empire. Oh yeah, that that's a reminding of that connection that that Poe was always. Under late, I mean, almost almost as a, a nephew, or even another son, in some ways, probably not that extent, but uh, Leia was always his mentor, always from birth, and so, and the United Tree, and then the connection with with Octo, that was interesting. <laughs> Maybe the one of the most interesting kind of connections here is surrounding the lightsaber, the lightsaber, and. Uh, it's not so much a connection to the the greater novelizations and all the 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 quote expanded universe that is the canon expanded universe, but uh, Kylo Ren clearly thinks it's Luke's lightsaber, and talks about how you know that when he says that lightsaber belongs to me, yeah, because it was Luke's, and so it's coming to bring. Ray and Luke's lightsaber to Snoke. Snoke, here's here's the kind of connection with Snoke is uh, it goes into all these things about I think about Empire's End and more more sense of he was this mysterious presence in the unknown regions. I mean, never they never confirmed that, but 
the, the great thing, and I'm going to love this, is uh, you know, the light rises to meet it. Skywalker assumed. We know he's thinking of Luke, but the narrator says, and Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber. Ah, like, yes. Because that's the thing is, Snoke gets it in that gets that this lightsaber doesn't just represent uh, Luke Skywalker and, and it, what he's trying to do in the original trilogy. It represents the Chosen One, Anakin Skywalker, and his response as a Jedi, as a Jedi Knight, and then, of course, as we know, how much he venerates Vader as dangles that out in front of Kylo Ren. So, all these plenty of canon connections. I'm sure there's probably a list of it somewhere. I'm trying to remember if there's any more. Um, is what, again, yeah, what it's able to do is situate these characters where they are in the grand scheme of things. Right? Uh, where they are in connection to what we've read if we're following the canon, following the novels and the comics, what we've read before. And again, that, that payoff, that connection, those bridges, it's not, again, something you could necessarily do in a film because it's that great that great conundrum between uh, the, the great, the, the hardcore fans and the general audience and casual fans and you don't want to do too much inside baseball, but again, it's my, my prequel stat here. If we can have references, more references to the prequel trilogy in the sequel trilogy, we can have the name Anakin Skywalker mentioned in the sequel trilogy. Because, yeah, that's the thing is, is Vader is a callback to the original trilogy. Anakin is a callback to the prequels, right? And say, what is his true legacy? Right? What's the legacy not just of well, not just of the Jedi as a whole, but of this one in particular? And and just just as kind of a stray thought here, it's why I need almost need. It's one of the questions the Black Series Rebels asks you. What, what would you really want? I really need Force Ghost Anakin to appear to Kylo Ren and say, you've got it wrong. This isn't what I was setting out to do. I was trying to save your grandma from death. <laughs> I was corrupted by the lies of Palpatine. Now, Luke, of course, mentions Darth Sidious. That is a, a prequel callback for sure, and, and and at the height of their powers and all that, and I've mentioned that before. But you know, the the ability to tie things in, and that's what this novel, this novelization, does really well in a lot of ways. So uh, definitely recommend just for that reason alone. If if you're reading the novels, and as I look over in my novel collection, right. Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are all these callbacks. I think uh, Alex Damon at Star Wars Explained, I think he's done a bit more of a comprehensive list. You can check that out. Um, finally, one more coffee break here. 
Yes, R2 is excited <coughs> for this one because it involves him a little bit. Meditating on Octo. Luke, well, involves him because the whole help me one, Obi, help me one, help me Obi Wan Kenobi triggers Luke to find ways of rejoining the fight. And one of the things it does is it that scene where he's finally reaching out with the Force again, finally uh, saying, "Yeah, yeah write this down." <laughs> finally. Saying, trying to connect with Leia and just figuring out what's happening and whatnot, and he, you know, he said he hears all the animals and he hears all the life on Octo and sees Ray as this blazing beacon of of the Force and and finally tapping into the Force and, but what he's trying to focus on is, is connect with Leia, and hearing that still small voice, so. That got me thinking that that scene and Luke on Octo, you know, before, I've said before, the ending of the film is Moses on Mount Nebo seeing these rites enter the promised land. This scene, and really the whole film in a lot of ways, is Elijah on Mount Horeb in First Kings 19, where he goes up, he's just... Confirmed to the prophets of Baal, and he's kind of, he's depressed, and he's, he's oh no, everything's falling apart, and I have to go hide in the mountain. And God says, "I'm going to come to you." And he sees this this earthquake and this whirlwind and the loud noises, but God's not in any of that. He's in this the famous thing. He's in the still small voice, the quiet, and. That scene in particular, maybe you think of that, but then I got thinking even further, is what is this film about? What is this story about in particular? What is, Star, what is at least the thing that I latch onto with Star Wars in general? Especially this, this story about is the will of the Force and the real thing that pushes the story along, is it in... Finn and Ray, Finn and Rose going to going to Canto Bite. No, <laughs> that doesn't do anything. Well, it, it teaches good lessons to the characters, but ultimately not the thing that fully drives the story, and isn't necessarily the core of the story. Is the core of the story Poe Poe and his mutiny, his thrashing about <laughs> on the bridge of the, uh, the 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 auxiliary bridge of the Radis? No. You know, that doesn't end up anywhere. Turns out uh, Holdo's plan was right all along. No. What about Ray's meditations on Octo? And and Luke's lessons and things Luke again needs to learn. That quiet, still small, still small voice. The whispers even at the Unity Tree. Ray learning, and this is another thing that definitely comes out in obviation repeatedly. Ray learning that the Force isn't a power, that we actually submit to the will of the Force. And let that, <coughs> that calm center guide us, that we become instruments of 
you know, the, to quote the, the Francis prayer, which isn't by Francis, but that's okay. The in instruments of peace, true peace and true justice. The thing at Qui-Gon, be mindful of the living force, right? Being mindful, being calm and still. And so that even when you are called on to lift rocks, there's a very specific reason why it's because the will of the force wants you to make a way for the resistance to get free. When you become an instrument of the force to pass on what you've learned. But that's the, the, the core of this film that makes it a complete film is really what Ray and Luke learn on Octo and are able to go and then do on Craig. That comes out in this in this novelization as much as it comes out in the film. Yeah, again, we're talking about Ray as an instrument of the Force, not as the Force being our instrument. Um, that the path of the true Jedi is is submission to that will. So <laughs> that that that's at the heart of it. And that's the thing is, for me, Star Wars is personal it is historical political and it is cosmic but running through all of those is the 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 balance of life and then death that leads to new life it's the flourishing of life on on, on the cosmic scale on the social political scale and on the personal scale and that's the Christian faith is all like that too, right? There's the, the great resonance is we believe in, in the co Christ's cosmic victory over death. We believe that there are social political implications for that. We believe that there are personal moral implications for that, character implications, that they're all connected. They're all related to each other. So I definitely recommend you reading uh, that novelization you know, maybe there's more in that last thought to unpack maybe I've done you know unpacking it for it's the last six months it's been half a year since that film came out <laughs> still talking about it still loving it um, yeah and the conversation will keep going next week I'm definitely gonna step back a little and talk look stand back and talk about prequelism in the fandom Prequelism, as a fan, is what I think it is and what it should be. And, yeah, hopefully that's a fun discussion, too. So, this has been episode 31 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. If you've listened on Podient, thanks for finding me. Listen on Radio Public, thanks for finding me. Uh, <coughs> give a like and subscribe on Radio Public if you are. I think you can at least download on Podient. Um, and, uh, if you want to retweet, comment, follow, uh, I'll, I pin this episode up on my Twitter at NUG485. If you want to request a follow of my Instagram, there's lots of Star Wars and other things going on there, uh, MNUG1138. Again, this has been episode 31 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you always.